Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We are less than one week away from TCU kicking off at home, big noon, against the University of Colorado. I hear they have a new coach. I haven't seen any hype about it on TV, but, uh, well, I guess we'll find out when we walk into the stadium. We're going to talk about that first game against Colorado in Neon Dion. We are going to break down what's going on at key positions where the Frogs have to refill and reload, as well as give our preseason predictions for all 12 possibly 13, possibly 14, possibly 15 games for the Frogs this year. We'll talk about that, and I'm sure a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy, you've been out there, man. Uh, we haven't talked for about a week and a half, two weeks here. You've been out there at practice. Your energy level was through the roof last time we spoke in terms of your excitement, your predictions, you all, but you guaranteed and bet your whole mortgage on a 10-win season. Uh, revisit the energy. How are you feeling right now? Has, have, have you come down a little bit off your high, or are you still where you were last time we talked? I'm from Azel, man. I'm, there's always a high out here in Azel. I mean, okay, can we delete that, Daniel? I'm just kidding. Oh, absolutely. We're leaving that in. <laughs> you know, when you first started the show, I thought you were going to say, when you said kicking off, I thought you were going to say kicking butt over Colorado, which is pretty much probably what you wanted to say anyway, right? I wanted to say a lot more, but you know me, I'm not a fan. I'm an objective journalist that has no bias or passion in this field. You got to be objective. No, I mean, I still feel great. I mean, the the practices have kind of scaled back a little bit now. We're not getting to go out there every practice They've closed it. They've started preparations for Colorado. So still hear little bits and pieces about how practice is going. Uh, I, I think TCU feels good about the place that they're in. They're, they're ranked in the top 25, 16 in the coaches poll, 17 in the uh, uh, AP poll, but number five in the Big 12. And I think they like that. I think it's like the, the old days where they liked where people were doubting them a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I still feel really, really positive about this team. So from what you were able to see and then possibly what you're hearing, it seems as if the the energy level is still high. I've got some questions going into this season. My my expectations are usually up through the roof. So let's start with where, you know, as a former offensive lineman, you can tell by looking at me. I wasn't big, but at least I was slow. Uh, I've got questions at the O-line. Feel, you know, bring my concerns down a little bit because you see Steve Ali, uh, you know, Steve Avilia, uh, Steve Avilia out. We see Ali out. Uh, I, I just see a lot of questions across the front, and I've got some concerns. And at the same time, I feel really good about who we've got coaching the line, and I feel really good about how things came together last year. But when the offensive line clicks, when injuries are, are absent, things click. Do you think that's what we're going to happen? Who do you see making um, everything happen up front this season? Well, the biggest question I had going into fall camp was how deep can this offensive line be? We knew guys like Andrew Coker and Brandon Coleman were going to be good. They're going to be good at tackles. Andrew Coker has, has 25 consecutive starts. Coleman is somewhere in, in just right at 20. They've got a lot of experience between them. Um, finding that interior, I thought bringing in Willis Patrick in the spring was really big. I thought he played really well. Colton Deary from Maryland coming in playing center. He's done well at center, getting getting snaps back. He's learned the offense pretty quick. Finding another guy uh, on the interior was the big question, but Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols is a guy that's been around the program a long time, playing right tackle. He played five games last year, and he was playing pretty consistently in each one of those games. That's what uh, Coach Ricker talked about last week when we asked about Mike. And uh, He's fully healthy now. He's he's obviously developing well. Um, he's, he's playing well enough to where they've allowed Brandon Coleman to go slide down, probably more into a, a, a natural, more natural position for him at left guard. You have Coker, who has 
25 starts at right tackle, moving over to left tackle. He's played well. You've got, as I mentioned before, Willis Patrick, 347-pound Willis Patrick. Whoo, that's a big boy. 305-pound Colton Deary, and then Mike Nichols goes 315. So I did the averages the other day. If they go with that line, you're talking about an offensive line that averages six foot six, 321 pounds. That's a pretty big offensive line. Um, but what I really liked about the development in fall camp was finding those guys who can come in and play some snaps to where those five guys aren't the only ones we're going to see. We didn't see John Lance enough, a, a, a lot during fall camp because he was injured. He's he's come back. He's playing. He's a guy that's extremely experienced. He's going to he's gonna play a lot of football this year. I don't know if he's going to play more guard center, but he's going to play a lot of football. Other guys that have kind of stepped up, Quentin Harris has stepped up. Marcus Williams has stepped up. Garrett Hayes, Garrett Hayes, we all remember Garrett Hayes being one of the top offensive linemen in the nation out of his class. And so now he's starting to get more reps at uh, left guard and even some right guard. And Tommy Brockemeyer, he he was one of those guys that everyone asked about because he's the five-star. He was at Alabama. And in spring, not to talk bad about the kid, but he was just so far off of where the other tackles were. Could you just give your PSA for every fanatic out there? Just because you transferred in and were highly rated doesn't mean you get to be deemed starter day one. Yeah, I mean that's that's the rule, and 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 every five star is not going to be awesome right off the bat. We we've seen seen those kids, and and I'm not saying that at all about Tommy because what I really liked about Tommy in fall camp, the the progression that he made from spring to fall is like another player. You can tell these guys don't take long under Coach Cause to get in, get in shape, get to where they can make an impact with their strength. Um, their, their, their mental state is better. Uh, that's a, that's, you see a lot of these transfers come in, they're looking for playing time, but they're also looking for someone that's going to take care of their bodies, uh, help them in nutrition, everything else. And that's one of the positive things I've seen from a lot of these transfers. It's like, man, they're here for only a few months, but even from spring to fall, it looks completely different. So, I think the the biggest question I had for the offensive line just starting out this season was can they develop enough depth to where they can have a solid eight to ten man rotation and and honestly I, I really feel like Coach Ricker's been able to do that just the way he's moved some parts around and getting guys reps at tackle and at guard and 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 seeing how they perform at each one of those positions I really feel like they have at least eight guys that he can call upon and, and maybe even possibly 10 guys. So you talked about Deary coming in. He got all that experience as a freshman at Maryland. Uh, if someone is smart out there listening to the show, if you want to go watch the Maryland-Ohio State game, the Maryland-Penn State game, and the Maryland-Michigan game, we would love your feedback. We would love to hear from you. What, how, how did he look in that situation? Because we're putting a lot of chips on the table with a sophomore, true sophomore. So I'll be interested to see what he does. But start coming in and starting at center is not something that they just hand you. Uh, you know, I'm going to sound like a recruiting idiot here, but I haven't heard anything about Jasper Lott. I mean, is he a guy that's kind of a man without a position? Is he too tall and too lean to play interior line? Is he too small to play out wide? I'm really uh, – I thought he'd make a bigger impact by this point in his third year in the program. Yeah, actually, Jasper's a guy pretty much forgot to mention. He, he's he been getting a lot of reps with the twos. Um, at right guard, he's usually lined up right beside Brockemeyer on the right side. So he's he's had a camp to where is is he completely trusted by Ricker yet? I don't know, but he's played enough reps in in, in the team 
um, periods that I that I think he's getting trust from Ricker to go out there and, and at least try to play right guard if they do need some snaps. If if uh, Patrick's not able to go out there, maybe Garrett Hayes. But I, I will say this again: the the return of John Lance is huge for that offensive line because he has so much experience. Well, let's flip to the other side of the ball. Obviously. Losing Dylan Horton was – he was just a playmaker. He, he was a Gary Patterson special. He just kept moving closer to the line of scrimmage as his career uh, progressed. And, you know, you go back and watch that Fiesta Bowl, where would we be without Dylan Horton, especially being able to stop the run and all those tackles for a loss – Rebuilding the defensive line, obviously Williams anchoring it right there at the nose in the three thirty five. He is he is set. The edges really concern me. Calm me down a little bit. What are you seeing, and who are the projected starters of the defensive line? And especially as as camp has has progressed and as uh, the action has has kind of heated up here through the fall. Yeah, defensive line was another huge question mark for me going into to camp because you're you're right talking about Dylan Horton. We watch that Fiesta Bowl, and he comes away with four sacks, and we're all thinking, man, how the hell did they replace that kid? But um, they've got some youth at the position. As you mentioned, Dominic Williams is one of the best nose tackles, not only in the Big 12, but the entire nation. The left-end spot, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw out Paul Oyewale as the starter. Um, as Should, I mentioned. You want to just teach us how to say that real quick? <laughs> Oyewale. Oyewale. Go Frogs has a great feature on their side if you go to the roster it's got a little ear icon that you can click on that and it'll pronounce all these names for you like so i know some people <laughs> there there was a big uh, fuss about uh dalen wright you know dalen spelt d-y-l-a-n and it's pronounced dalen and i kept telling all those guys up there i'm telling you guys it's dalen it's not dylan it's dalen and then one day mark cohen comes up to me and goes you were right it's dalen <laughs> But anyhow, uh, get, getting back onto the defensive end talk, swerving We off did not the road have here. that little ear icon when we had <laughs> Shewo Alanalua. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think with Oye Wale, and I did a story about things that impressed me during fall camp, and I, I really got to think he's, he's the first guy off the bus. And he's just so physically impressive. He's, he's quick off the edge. He's – Got a good motor about him. Is he going to go out there and get ten sacks in his first year? I, I don't know, but he's got he's got a good first step, and that's really encouraging to see when you got a guy that they're wanting to get to the quarterback. But I, I think I was talking to Jeremiah about this. Jeremiah Glenn, our good friend, and and uh, I I don't want people thinking Paul's going to come out there and just dominate year one because he still he. You know, he didn't play a lot of high school football, so he's still developing a little bit. And the name that the name that popped in my head is, man, I don't want him to become a Braylon Broughton. I don't want people to look at him like, look at Braylon Broughton. He's 6'6", six, six, he's 260, he looks like $5 million. He's the first guy off the bus, but he really never produced in the stat column. And, and, and honestly, not, not even in the stat column, just as a player overall. Um, I don't think he met a lot of fans' expectations, but I think Paul is on the right track. Paul is going – everyone that's been to practice, they notice him immediately. They notice he is one of those guys that just put in the work in the weight room. He's doing everything. He's a great kid. I mean, after we interviewed him one day after practice, he goes around the room and shakes ten different people's hands, the media members' hands, and that just kind of speaks volumes of the type of character he has. But 
I think at right end you're going to have Caleb Fox. Caleb Fox is a he's a Jamarcus McFarland guy. He's there at TCU because Jamarcus coached him at Stephen F. Austin. They needed another defensive lineman, and and Caleb has done a really good job. He's another great kid. The the defensive ends, you know, Paul looks like a TCU defensive end of old. Caleb does not. Caleb's more of a 6'2", 295-300-pound type, but he's the big defensive lineman that you want to have in that 3-3-5. But the the one thing I like with defensive defensive line, like I did with the offensive line, is you built depth. And I know I've gotten a lot of – I've gotten a ton of text messages. You really think this is the, the most athletic team you've ever seen at TCU? Absolutely. And one of the main reasons I, why I have that opinion is when I go out there and look at those defensive linemen, they're not as experienced, okay? Everyone knows that group is not experienced. But just the overall physicality and the athleticism each one of those guys has at defensive end. Rick DeBrew. Rick DeBrew has really came on – the last couple weeks, he's a guy that Sonny Dykes talked highly of. He's from uh, transfer from East Carolina. Took a little bit to get involved in the system, but he's he's learning things. Uh, Michael Michael Ibikon, okay Yode, okay okay Yode. Remember where's that. the ear icon again? Yeah, it's on GoFrogs.com. That site again is GoFrogs.com. Click your football roster, and you'll be able to find out every pronunciation. Fifty percent off for everybody that signs up today. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but no, he's, he's, he's like Paul. I mean, he's, he's actually a little bit bigger than Paul. You know, Michael goes about six, five, he looks six, six to me, but he's another physically impressive guy. And you got younger guys like Zachary Chapman, six, five range, Avion Carter, six, four, uh, athletic dude, uh, the, the Kevion Huddleston, he's another athletic defensive end. And it just goes down the list of guys that they, they don't have experience, but when you look a year, two, three, and to the future, you're thinking, man, this is going to be a very talented defensive line. And that's not even mentioning Marcus Dill. Marcus Dill, I mean, he's gotten a lot of second-team reps during fall camp because you've had injuries to Sony Missy and uh, Connor Lindgren. So you've had Marcus get more reps. He's 6'5", 315 pounds at nose tackle. So, I mean, you look at defensive line for TCU, the future looks extremely bright for them. And I can't wait to see what that unit does this year. And that's one thing Joe Gillespie talked about. Ideally, they want to have a rotation to where you can have nine guys rotating on the defensive line at any time during the game. Do they have nine? I'm not sure yet. I think I'm comfortable in saying they've got at least seven of those guys. Um, but it's going to be interesting to watch watch them kind of develop. But I, I think they're on the right track to be very, very um, explosive at that position. Well, as long as we got guys that we names we can't pronounce that are more athletic than anybody we've ever had, I'm all for it. You know, let's go to the wide receiver position. This is an area that obviously is a place of concern in terms of replacement. Obviously, you lose all three to the NFL. Quentin Johnston, Darius Davis, Tay Barber. Not only was Quentin a first-round draft pick, but I think one of the under undertold stories of, of where the Frogs took advantage of an edge that they had Tay Barber and Darius Davis were fifth-year seniors because of the COVID year. They all got to they, they played five seasons of college football, and that was that was an advantage that, that in a sense everybody had access to. But TCU knew how to maximize it with those guys. So you have to replace those three. But on the but what's coming in 
is a long list of talent and a long list of potential, as well as guys that have played well at other places. Like you said, Dalen Wright, John Paul Richardson, who I'm really high on, Savion Williams, JoJo Earl. We've got Robinson coming in from uh, Old Miss slash UCF, and uh, Cordell coming in, who's obviously uh, one of the highest rated wide receivers that we've been able to bring in. Here's my question for you, and us old guys will get this. We're looking to, we've got to replace Quentin Johnston. Are we basically going to play money ball with six receivers and trust that in the aggregate we're going to be able to get the same amount of production? Because I believe that part may be possible, but I don't think we'll have the explosive offense. I think our explosive plays will come down. I don't want to say significantly, but we'll come down 20 25% while at the same time still being able to get as many receptions and, and maybe pick up as much yards. But it, we, that, that explosive ability, I feel like, is going to have to take a step back. Tell me if I'm right. Tell me if I'm wrong. And what is the potential of this wide receiver room? The money ball reference is perfect. I mean, that it's like in the, in the movie when they're talking about trying to replace Jason Giambi. They can't find another Giambi, but we can find three guys that can replace them. But I don't. You're not. You don't have a Quentin Johnston on the roster. You may have a Quentin Johnston on the roster in two years with a talent like Cordell Russell. Um, but I really, I really feel like because I've been asked this question a lot too. Who is that go-to guy? What? Who is the guy that they're gonna they're gonna throw the ball up to and and, and they're gonna step up? Who's gonna be the dog? And I really don't know who that is right now. I I, I don't. And, and and that's that's not a bad answer because when the way I look at it. I'm looking at they really don't have to have that dude because, in, in, just in all honesty, they might have four of those dudes. They might have five of those dudes. And we saw last year when Quentin Johnston got double teamed or he got taken out of the game, the production at receiver kind of dropped off. And that's one thing that you talk to folks around the program right now and you, and you go out and watch practices – they don't have the Quentin Johnston on the roster. They don't have that dog, but they do have guys that can still go out there and make plays. They have John Paul Richardson. They have JoJo Earl. They have uh, Savion Williams. Savion Williams was slow in fall camp. He's been battling a little hamstring, so they've, they haven't told him to go 100%, which was – I watched something the other day on the site that someone had posted. Some guy was analyzing all these – the sights and sound videos that I do from practices – and that's some I, that's some Zabruder film stuff, right? Yeah, there. <laughs> well, I'm I'm watch I watched a few minutes, and he's analyzing the TCU receivers. He's talking about DJ Rogers, like uh, running slow and all this. And I'm like, I want to I want to message the dude and see like and say like, bro, you know, like that's not even their full speed. They're just like jogging through these routes. They're just getting time. They're just doing certain things. Savion hasn't been full speed all camp. Savion, from what I've been told around the program, might be he might have been the second fastest receiver on the roster last year, from what people told me. They do all these analyze it, you know, they analyze speed on this, you know, Darius Davis ran twenty two miles per hour and and whatnot. But I was told overall, out of all the receivers they had, and they had that measure that Savion had the second fastest time, right behind Darius. So Savion is six five. He's 225. He hasn't gone full speed through fall camp yet. He's going to be fresh. Do I think he's going to put up Quentin type numbers? No, but I think he's a I think he's a, a player that people are kind of they're 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 not 
given him enough credit right now because I think he could be a pretty good player. But one thing I will say about the X and Z position, they may legitimately be four deep at both of those spots. You have X, you have Savion, you have Jalen Robinson who is extremely fast. I personally feel like he may be the fastest route runner they have. Then you have uh, DJ Allen, who was a former four-star, was injured last year. He's fresh now. He's healthy. He's another guy Sonny Dykes and Malcolm have been real complimentary of uh, in fall camp. And Chase Jackson. Chase Jackson, my gosh, kids just come out of nowhere. He's finally moved back to his natural position of X. They tried the whole slot thing for two years. Now he's playing X, what he played in high school and where he was getting all these uh, recruiting interest from. And now he's starting to excel a little bit. Then you slide over to Z, Jeff. Over there at Z, you have six foot three Dalen Wright. You have six foot three Warren Thompson. You have six foot three Cordell Russell, and you have six foot four Blake Knoll. And all four of those guys can run. All four of them run great routes. All four of them catch the ball really well. And they're so big, man. They just they create leverage anytime. If there's a jump ball, it's not a fifty fifty ball to me. It's a it's a 70-30-80-20 ball to me because more times than not, those guys come down with those jump balls. And we've seen that in fall camp. I've seen it from I've seen it from Dalen, I've seen it from Warren, I've seen it from Cordell, and I've seen it from Blake. All all four of those guys uh can make plays. And that's one thing that when you look at the receiver position, I know everyone hears all these guys are gonna play number one concern will are they going to be rotating these guys every other play? I don't think it's going to be like that. I did try to get Sonny to tell me a, a legitimate answer one day at one of his pressers because I asked about all this talent. Is this talent, is this, a, is this an offense where you're going to rotate the receivers every two or three plays, or is this an offense with so many talented receivers that they're going to play one possession then you might have a different set of receivers the next possession? And the answer he gave me was about as clear as mud. So I don't know what they're going to do yet at receiver as far as how they're going to rotate players around. But I will say this, there is a ton of talent. I haven't even mentioned Jack Besh yet. Jack Besh is another guy that when they go 12 personnel, you're probably going to see Jared Wiley and you're going to see Jack Besh who could play tight end as well. And he's extremely athletic. So there is, there, there's, I, I don't have any hesitation in saying this. There is more talent top to bottom at receiver than there was last year. There's more There's more talent top to bottom on the entire roster than there was a year ago. And I've had conversations with Sonny about it. He'll, he'll nod his head. And, it, and it's not a knock on the previous teams. It's just when you go out there and you see a true freshman safety that's 6'3", 215 running around, or a 6'6", 255-pound true freshman tied end, or a, a 6'5", 315-pound freshman defensive tackle – you're you don't you didn't have those guys like that on the roster before but now you do and that's what gives me so much optimism for this season well that's a great transition into talking about uh Chandler Morris because you you talked about tight ends you know I love Jack Besh coming from LSU his highlight tape is is real and his ability to I think he can he can line up tight I think he can play in the slot and be just as dangerous but I'm I am a fan now of, of Jared Wiley. He is my new John D'Arce. 
Like he knows how to catch the ball, and he if you want to go to the parking lot, I have a feeling he will he will beat you there. I I, I always like John Drs because I thought he was kind of a second guy off the bus. He's not the biggest, but he knows how to scrap. And Jared Wiley, he he did some serious work for the Frogs last year, and I think he's going to be primed for another great season. So let's just imagine if you've got two tight ends lining up, you got Chandler Morris. You think that's old school? We're going to line up and run the ball, which I know that Kendall Browse wants to do. Uh, what what set do you see is going to set up? No pun intended. Chandler Morris to succeed. Do they want to go four wide all the time? Do they want to maximize the the tight ends? Are we going to see a two back set at any point to be able to get in your terms Thunder and Lightning on the field at the same time with Sanders and with Bailey? What do you see schematically that's going to set Chandler Morris up to succeed? Not to replace Max Duggan, but in the aggregate to be able to put up a whole bunch of points. That's a good question. I see. I see a lot of eleven personnel. Um, I see. I see them running an offense that you'll see Savion at X. You'll see Dalen at Z. You'll probably have Jared Wiley at a H or Y, and then JoJo or John Paul at yeah H or Y. I mean, it's just yeah. I, I think that's probably going to be the set you'll see the most. But then I also know that Kendall Browse wants to run the football, and they're going to do some things out of 12 personnel where, you know, if they're thinking they're just going to run the football, you have two talented guys like Jared Wiley and, and Jack Besh that can make plays. Um, Chase Curtis is another guy that's come on pretty good this fall camp. That's another big body. And this year you guys will know Chase Curtis. When he when he came in and ran the football a couple of years ago, everyone's like, who in the heck is this kid? Even though I've talked about him on the board, you guys just don't look at it. Um, but – Chase Curtis is another guy who who's kind of just had a, a, a quietly had a good fall camp. He's he's kind of moved up the depth chart a little bit, and I think he he was even getting reps uh, in front of DeAndre Rogers there toward the end of uh, when we were able to go out there and watch practices. But um, I, I really think is that, that Chandler is that because is that because Rogers is so slow? According to the guy that watched his watched his uh, warm up video, he, he's not fast. So. The, you know, but Colorado has these guys that are all like six eight and run four twos. So, I mean, TCU might as well not even show up to the game as far as they're concerned. So, I was told it, they have five guys on the defensive line that are all faster than JoJo Earl. I mean, honestly, they probably do, man. I mean, we Dion recruits at a high level, Jeff, and you know, all he has is five stars and four stars on his roster. So they're they're just ready to come in and and beat TCU by 30 points. I mean, that's it. They're going to go from 111 to national championship. I mean. He's bringing his luggage, and it's Louie. <laughs> no, but I I, th- I think going back to Chandler, the best the best offense of him is run run pass option, RPOs. Um, he really succeeded in, in high school with that offense, Highland Park. And he's said on multiple occasions, this offense was built for him. This is the offense he's run his whole life. And I think Kendall Browse is really, really uh, – dialed in with Chandler being the quarterback. And one thing that I'll always go back and I'll watch clips of Derek King at Houston because that's when Kendall was there. And that's that's the best comparison I can give um, for people that want to kind of know how Chandler can be used. Chandler's not as fast as Derek, but he he's not slow either. Um, he's quick. He's probably he's probably quicker than what Max was last year, but straight line speed, Max was definitely faster but Chandler Chandler has a little bit more wiggle to him, if that makes sense. But I, as far as just trying to get a comparison to how Kendall's going to use Chandler, I would go and watch that 2018 uh, Houston team 
and watch how they use De'Ara King because that's that's pretty much how you're going to see Chandler. But Kendall's going to want to run the football. They're going to want want to run uh, tempo, and that's that's the main thing we're going to see this year. But everything I've I've seen from spring and fall camp, which is easily thirty practices, I think Chandler's going to be very successful in this offense. Very successful. Well, that is a heck of a transition into our preseason predictions. If Chandler is successful, the Frogs are successful. If Chandler has a good year, clearly TCU is going to have a good year. You know, I have heard that Chandler Morris can't stay healthy for one game. So, you know, obviously we're going to have to see who the backup and then the backup to the backup is. But let's go ahead and get to it, man. Let's camp out on our first week, and then we're going to go game by game and give our predictions. We don't have to give scores, but we will we will give our uh, pick things in the win and loss column. But you talked about Dion. What what do you think we're going to see? Or let, let me put it this way: Tell us what Sonny Dykes says he thinks he's going to see from the Colorado Buffaloes and, and Coach Prime Dion Sanders, because this is one of the hardest scouting jobs you'll have to ever come up with because the roster is essentially 90% turned over. What's Sonny saying that he's got an eye out for, for the Buffaloes? I mean, you're right. It's, it's tough to uh, try to analyze what they're going to see. I mean, you go back and you watch those transfers. You try to find film of what they look like at other schools. You try to go through their entire coaching staff what kind of system were they? I think they're they're watching a lot of Kent State football right now because the OC came from Kent State. Um, you're you're watching all those coaching tendencies from previous schools, which means you're doing a lot more homework. You're spending a lot more time in the film room. Which, luckily for them, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you've got a lot of defensive players for TCU that love to watch film. Guys like. Johnny Hodges and, and Josh Newton, those two stick out the most of guys that have really spent a lot of time evaluating. But, yeah, it's 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 different, man. It's just like trying to play against a team that you really don't have a lot of film on. I mean, it's like a high school team that back in the old days when a knucklehead coach or a punk coach wouldn't share his film and you're just kind of going in there blind and, you know, trying to figure out who the top players are within the first two or three minutes. But um, hey, obviously – let me Go ask ahead. you a question here real quick. I don't know exactly how all this works. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. Let, let's say you're Matt Rule, and I, I think it's Colorado, Nebraska, week two. In, in, in May, does Sonny and Matt Rule get on the phone and say, hey, in a month, let's share everything that we've put together. You watch Sean Lewis at Kent State. You watch what they did at Jackson State. You look at what these coordinators have done, and then let's just share everything that we've got and double our staff up and double our tape up because, you know, in a sense, you know, Rule would get one extra week. You know, he'd get one week, and if it's a blowout, it's not like they're going to get anything extra. Do, do things like that actually happen, or do they just do it against teams they can't stand, or does everybody want to get their, their hit in on Dion when they can? Would something like that take place, or has something like that taken place? That's a great question. I don't have the answer to it, but I would say this. I know coaches talk a lot. Um, the coaching industry is a, it's a pretty close fraternity, and uh, there's a lot of brotherhood there. And, 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 I, w- and I would bet that um, – I would probably bet my mortgage that calls have been made between staffs. Not saying just Colorado and, or Nebraska and TCU, but just overall. But, yeah, it's, that's one thing I'll have to uh, – Ask some ask some buddies of mine to see if see if that happens, but that's a that's a pretty good point. 
yeah, I don't know if that'll happen, but I, I'm sure some calls have been made. I don't know how all that works formally or informally. It's not like you want to bank all of your uh, tape study and, and, and everything you put together to, to get ready for your first opponent and outsource it to another team. But my hunch is that there's some good information to be shared, and maybe a call will be made on Sunday to say, here's what we saw, and maybe it'll help you out a little bit. But So, you know, we, we talked about what's going to happen on the field, but – Everybody's going nuts off the field. This is going to be the biggest game of, of the weekend. I don't care about North Carolina, South Carolina. I think everybody's tuning in to see Dion. I think mm-hmm. some people want to tune in and watch him lose. I think some people want to tune in and watch him win. What's your sense of the anticipation of this? I mean, players are ready. Players, I mean, they, they're they tired of hearing about the hype. They're, they're wanting to hit someone else. They want to play Colorado. Um, I'm interested to see how he does and, and – you guys know me. You've been on the side. People probably get this sound bite from what I'm about to say, but I'm just anxious to see if how Dion does a, a, a football game when he's going against talent that's as equal as his roster or more talented. Because every stop that that guy's been at as a coach, his talent has been superior to his opponents, and when it's not, they lose. I mean, whether it was at Prime Prep Academy, whether it was at Trinity Christian at Cedar Hill where they had about 12 D1 players going against guys that were all like 5'6", 150. I mean, you look at what he did at Jackson State, everyone in, that followed Jackson State and his journey there, he he had a superior, talented team. Um, and they lost one game. They lost their little championship game that they had down there. But um, what I like about Dion is he surrounds himself with good coaches um, he's going to go out and get players. The one thing that Dion does is I think he recruits based off um, a lot of star rankings. You won't see him recruit guys that are the guys that are kind of under the radar top players, in my opinion. Because one thing that we all know about him is he wants to make a splash, whether it's in a football game or whether it's recruiting or whether it's you know, apparel that he wears, just whatever. He wants He wants to make a splash. And there's nothing more that that guy wants to do than to come down there and prove everyone wrong. Because everyone that looks at this game, they know TCU is a 20-point favorite. And a lot of people that I know feel like, I had someone, a national guy text me the other day, they're going to win by 40. Like, they're, I mean, they, Dion has no idea what he's about to run into in Fort Worth. Now, when you have a team that's full of, you know, getting uh, people that doubt them, they're going to play a little bit harder. But the same thing for TCU is they're kind of getting doubted too. They're kind of getting tired of hearing all this hype about Colorado, how all of a sudden TCU played a national championship and they're going to turn around and lose to a team that is completely new from a year ago, that won one game. And I can say, I mean, the one game doesn't matter. It's a new year and it's a completely different roster, but – there's some people that are getting tired of hearing this about Colorado's going to do this, Colorado's going to do that. I said it on my interview with with uh, Emily last week with 24-7. I feel extremely comfortable, extremely comfortable with that point spread. Now, am I going to bet? No. I don't want to end up like Iowa State people, but – I'm not. Oh. I'm not. I'm not going. Oh, sorry, Jeff. I know you're an Iowa guy. No, 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 no. I mean, it's, I, just, it's just both both teams, Iowa and Iowa State. They're getting hammered. Yeah, I've got buddies that down here um, 
that are from Iowa. And uh, I, lo- I love getting getting after them a little bit. Iowa State's probably going to start a true freshman at quarterback, by the way. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm anxious it, to see – I'm anxious to I'm anxious to see what what Dion does. Now I think they're going to play tough in the first half, but then you're going to have overall talent start to beat them. You're going to have you know they're they're Travis Hunter's probably going to make a big play. He is a very good player. Shador Shador is I liked Shador in high school. Was he a four star in my opinion? No, um, and it kind of goes with the sense that he didn't play against great competition either in high school. He was surrounded. If if you've got if you've got a quarterback that has receivers that are superior talented to the cornerbacks they're facing, quarterbacks gonna put up big numbers. You know, I had we had a uh, quarterback at the school Brody was at last year that struggled throwing the football, and this past weekend he's at a new school that has three D one receivers. He threw for five hundred and seven yards, and so that's the difference between having you know, pretty decent receivers that aren't going against great defensive backs. And I think that's kind of what Shador had in high school. Now, at Jackson State, I will say he was pretty good. He was accurate, um, threw the ball better than than what I expected him to. But I'm still waiting to see what his reaction time is going to be like when he's facing a defense that's very big and they're very fast. Can those receivers get open for him? Because I'll, I'll be honest, man, I don't know if Colorado's – purposely trying to show some defensive backs that are really slow or all of a sudden Travis Hunter runs a 3840. I don't know which one it is, but there's not a whole lot of um, great things that you see from Colorado secondary right now um, that's preparing their receivers for what they're about to see against TCU. You know what I mean? They're they're not seeing in practice every day what they're about to see from TCU's defensive backs. So I think that's that's going to be something interesting to watch just to see how Shador goes out there and throws the football too. I want to see how Shador gets back up after uh, Johnny Hodge comes on a blitz. I want to see what he does when he rolls out and it's Shadrach Banks that he runs into. That's where I'm going to be curious. I think he's got some talent, but you know, you talk about you know the competition gap that has always existed with every team that Dion has ever coached. They have, he has not played a defense like this. I know you can say, oh, he's got better weapons now. Shador has not seen anything close to the defense. That's bringing seven starters back that TCU is going to roll out there. Yeah, just, right. uh, just ask uh, – he should be calling J.J. McCarthy, in all honesty. You know, J.J. said the same thing about the three-three-five and defense this and that, and TCU's defensive line completely – I mean, TCU just on both sides of the, the trench won that game. And uh, you know, I, I think, I think obviously Shador is probably going to have more uh, respect for TCU's defense than what JJ McCarthy had. But I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. I I really want I, I really want to see how he performs because right now I'm I'm thinking TCU's defense is going to get after him. Gillespie's going to have some things dialed up, and I really feel that they're gonna they're gonna make him struggle. I think you're right. All right, we both have TCU in the win column. We're both we both are predicting Colorado, and we don't we don't gamble on games of chance. But I would definitely be hammering TCU to to cover cover that game. All right, Nickel State. Can we just both put that as a W? I'm good with that, unless you've got some intel on Nickel State I'm not aware of. I'll count that as a W. Although, oh, sticks Nickel State. <laughs> no, Quincy. Yeah. 
He's he's at he's at Nickel State. All chess, no checkers. That's or right. whatever. Chestnut checkers. Chestnut checkers. <laughs> All gas, no brakes. No chess, no checkers. All gas, no chess, no checkers. <laughs> All right. Well, let's give a little more depth to these uh, these next ones. What do you think is going to happen? The Frogs have got to go to Houston, playing, um, I think, on ESPN, a 7 o'clock game that night. The Dana Holgerson anxiety bowl is going to be kicking in here pretty quick. I think he's on the hot seat. What do you see happen when the Frogs go to Houston? I think I think Houston's going to be better than some people predict. Um, I think they've got some talent. We're going to get to see our uh, good buddy – what was the receivers? Matthew, Matthew Golden. Golden. Yes. Matthew Golden, you're going to see. They go in for one receiver every year that we really want. I feel like they pool all their in. We got, they got Matthew Golden. Who was the guy that we were real high on that ended up signing there at the last minute this last year? Temple. Temple kid. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mikhail. Yeah. Mikhail Harrison Pilot. Yes. That's they right. got him. Um, but, I mean, he's he's going to play. I think – I think talent-wise, Houston's gonna Houston's gonna be pretty decent, but I still feel overall that I, I just it's it's weird, Jeff, because I you went through those last few years with GP, and you were wondering how in the heck are they even gonna score ten to fourteen points, and now you don't worry about that. Now you go watch a TCU game, you're like, okay, they're gonna score thirty-five points, they're gonna score forty points, and the defense is gonna do just enough to win that ball game. And I think that's kind of what we're going to see with Houston. I don't think they're going to go in and, and blow out Houston. I think it's going to be pretty close. I could see a 34-24 type game, kind of like it was with Texas Tech last year. Houston reminds me a lot of Texas Tech. They're just down south. Yeah, they hate Saint when we say it, but those schools have a lot in common. Yeah, I think I don't know what to make of Houston this year. I mean, we've seen e- even with TCU that that transition up from uh, a competitive mid-major college to your first year or two in a, in a new conference at a, with with more resources and better players, even for good programs, that's a really tough transition. Nebraska still hasn't made that tr- transition. Uh, so, I, 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 if there's anything hesitation I have, because I think Houston has some talent. But this step up is going to be a burden. So I think I got the frogs winning big. Um, I'm 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 not as high on on Dana and and the the Cougars as you are this year. But I I think he might be able to get by the, the skin of his teeth. So we'll see how that goes. All right, we have a game that is going to be coming to an end here pretty quick. I know that it breaks the heart of so many TCU fans that the TCU SMU series is going to be coming to an end, and it'll it'll be in Fort Worth this year. So. What what do you what do we expect out of Red Ashley? Uh, TCU Ashley. by twenty five. TCU by twenty five. Yeah, TCU by twenty five. They're winning that game. I mean, it should have been that way last year, and they kept letting them creep around. And you're going into an atmosphere that we've never seen at SMU before, because they're all still butthurt over losing Sunny, and so they wanted to go over there and prod at them. I still I still remember the sight, and I will never forget the the dad and the son at the tunnel. Just cussing like crazy. The 14-year-old kid, tears streaming down his face, flipping off all the TCU players. And Sonny just waving. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you all for coming out. And the dudes that, wait for November, Sonny. Wait for November, Sonny. I, I will, that will completely be etched into my brain until the end of time. I mean, I will never, ever forget those two things, the dad and the son and uh, actually, three things, and Sonny just kind of waving his hands, just saying, "Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for coming out." 
Did you call Child Protective Services? Should have. I should have, but I feel I feel bad for that. I don't even know if it was a son. I just know it was an old, uh, older gentleman and a younger guy. The younger kid well, that, was... That's just, the same reason. You should call Child Protective Services. <laughs> I just remember tears streaming down his face and him giving the double bird to every TCU player that walked into the tunnel. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and me and Dean were just Dean. You know, Dean Straka. He's just filming everything, and <laughs> just like, I'm just laughing at it the whole time. Scripture says, "Raise up a child, and then when he grows old, he will not depart from the way of the Lord." So that little boy knows how to give a double bird to a team that played for the national championship. I'll just go ahead and throw that in there. Yeah, I got the frogs. I got the frogs big, and I, I have a feeling. It's, it's going to be a fascinating year for SMU. If they can't win the AAC in this gutted ACC going forward, or AAC, they're never going to win it. And they, they, they're not going to win the ACC. So, all right, let's flip over to more um, coaches on the hot seat. Neil Brown with, with West Virginia playing in Fort Worth. We drew Houston and we drew West Virginia, which are the teams that both have coaches on the hot seat. We have had a heck of a time beating West Virginia. Last year's win, of course, as you know, was the first win in Morgantown since Jade Novacrone kicked it through the uprights as the clock expired. What do you think we're going to see from West Virginia when they come in, and do you think we're going to be able to hold up and get a W? Yeah, I I really do. I I think this will probably be Neil Brown's last year. Um, They're struggling. I I think I did see where they named – Gosh, what was his name? He was he was number seven. He was a kid that TCU recruited pretty pretty heavily. That he was their second or third string guy last year, and he was actually their best kid in my opinion. But he's he's a fast kid. He's the kid out of Florida. Someone look it up. I mean, I just look up their roster. The quarterback out of Florida is the, I think it's Green, something Green, G R E E N E. I think um, it's I think it's Al Green. <laughs> Al Green. Um, no, it's not Al, but. I, I think he's pretty talented. They've got some other guys um, that I feel like can make plays, but I don't think it's going to be pretty for West Virginia and Fort Worth. I think TCU wins that game pretty easily too. Garrett Green. Garrett Green. How can I not freaking remember the name Garrett? He looks like Sunshine. From Remember, yeah. from remember yeah. the Titans. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah that is – that is him, but I remember if you guys remember when TCU offered that kid and everyone started watching this film, everyone's like, Man, we gotta have this kid, we gotta have this kid and TCU was pretty high on his list and then he just decided to head on up north. Yeah, why would you live on the beaches in Florida when you can move to Morgantown? That's all I gotta say. All right, this schedule continues to set up nicely. The frogs are playing Iowa State. Uh, obviously, Matt Campbell's not on the hot seat. He's the best coach they've had, but they had a bad, they had a tough season last year. But I, I think it was, was it every loss was a one score game except for the TCU game when they just like totally blew the doors off of them. I think the trade off was this: they finally beat Iowa, and then they just melted down the rest of the season. I, I we 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 referenced in jest what is actually serious. The gambling issue in the gambling scandal is going to be a huge problem for Iowa State this year. You don't know how long guys are going to be out. My fear, my fear, and my feeling is they're going to make an example of some of these guys. Like you know how you you know arrest a mobster and put him in jail for twenty years so that nobody else wants to do it. I think they're going to send a message to everybody about gambling. I don't see any way that the frogs don't just annihilate Iowa State. It is in Ames, and you know whatever, but I, I think the I think Iowa State's set up for another bad year, and I think TCU's going to win big. Yeah, as crazy as it was last year, that 62-14 to 14 game, 
you're going against a defense was which was the number one defense in the Big Twelve, Iowa State. I mean, that's one thing Matt Campbell can coach is defense. But I'm with you, man. They're in such disarray. Not only did they have a bad season last year, they had a horrible off season. I mean, you lose a guy uh, like Deckers, which Deckers, you know, Iowa State fans, you, you talk to some of them and like, oh, it's it's good that he's gone because he makes too many mistakes. But they lose their starting running back. They lose a couple other guys. Their their offensive guys that they've lost were big playmakers in their system. So I think um, their defense is going to have to make some plays once again this year. And their defense played the bend, 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 and they'd break at the worst times. They would they weren't giving up a ton of points, but they would just break at the absolute worst times. And the sad thing about it was their offense might have been as bad as their cross town their cross state rivals. I, mean, I know that was the their, they, yeah. their defense kept bend, 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 finally break. They didn't get any breaks for their offense. No help at all. I mean that Iowa offense is about as exciting as, you know, wreck hour at a nursing home. So But now you don't have you don't have Xavier Hutchinson who is one of the top producing receivers in the Big 12. Uh, you don't have the running back. You don't have a quarterback. They're probably going to go with a true freshman at quarterback. Um, I think his last name's Dole. Is it Dole? Um, yeah, Bob Dole. Yeah, Bob Dole. Thank you very much. Uh, now, look that up. Look that up, broadcast fans. It, it, it's their true freshman. He's like six seven. He's a big kid. Um, but that's who they're kind of thinking might, might end up getting that starting job up there and if you got a season like you're thinking you're going to have, it may be best to try to get the young kid in there and get him prepared for the future. Yeah, if you got job security, just go with the young guy. That's what I would say. So, All right, here's a big question, Mark. We're, we're back. We're locked in again with former Mountain West rival BYU. BYU, we had some scraps with them. TCU, you know, hot rivalry on the field at times, hot rivalry off the field sometimes. You never know. BYU used to uh, always like to fight. I remember that BYU-Memphis bowl game that just turned into an absolute brawl down there in Florida. Um, what, what, what do we expect out of BYU other than a lot of 27-year-olds on the offensive line? I knew you were going to say something about the age. Um you know, they're, they're, they've got pick, two mortgages. They've got a second mortgage. Yeah. You know, one in in the land where they did their mission work. God bless them. And then they got they've had a house in Provo since they were married with three kids at twenty three. <laughs> I'm 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 picturing all these guys with just like full full blown beards on the sidelines and kind of got the beard guts a little bit. Um, no, I mean BYU. I'm glad they're not playing them on the road because I think they're a much tougher team on the road. They're going to be physical. They're they're going to want to run the football. But, um, I, I, again, it's one of those games kind of – I look at it like a Houston game. I I think it's going to be close in the beginning, but I think it, TCU ends up winning by, you know, a 17, 34-17 type game. Yeah, I think the thing – sorry about that there, guys. Uh, BYU, I think they have a – a high floor, but their ceiling is is really close. You can barely stand up on that floor. They're they're not going to win ten or eleven games, but I could see them being seven win team every year. But again, they've got some baked in advantages. But I just don't think this transition is going to serve them. Although they might as well have won the Pac twelve a couple of years ago. You know, was that was that twenty twenty one where they had five Pac twelve games and I think they went five and zero oh or six four and one. So yeah. So, all right, now we get into the meat of the schedule. I think every TCU fan, you don't have to be like a total homer like I am. 
getting to seven o seven and o does not seem all that complicated. What you do after you get to seven and o is where all the energy is. So let's go rapid fire through here, Jeremy. TCU, Kansas State in Manhattan. What do you think is going to happen? I, I predict seven and o going to Manhattan, and that's the first game that I'm worried about. I think TCU gets their revenge. I think, I mean, Will Howard's going to be tough to defend. He's one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12. But I think everyone has seen what the Big 12 has seen, all the pro football fans that like watching the Cowboys. Deuce Vaughn is extremely hard to tackle. He's extremely hard to cover. The dude just made plays. I think him being gone and Malik Knowles being gone at receiver is going to destroy their offense compared to what it was last year those two guys not in the offense anymore it's gonna it's gonna it it, to me they don't have guys that can step in and fill that role um like a deuce vaughn or malik knows i i just don't i don't see it right now i see kansas state still being very good on defense very stingy they're they're never in the wrong freaking place they're always gonna they're always gonna play disciplined football, but I think TCU is gonna have enough to escape Manhattan with the win. This is gonna be, in my opinion, TCU's lowest scoring game of the year when they go to Kansas State. Yeah, this is really a coin toss. I wish this game was not in Manhattan, but you know, here here's my problem. They bring back four offensive linemen, but the question is, who are they blocking for? I, you know, you don't you don't just get another Deuce Vaughn. He he is special. Um, Will Howard, how how was Will Howard great because or just good? And Will and Deuce Vaughn made him look better. Is Will Howard just okay? And the offensive line made him look better. And then why did they keep trying to start Martinez all through the year if they thought if they were so confident in in Will Howard? That's the thing that's confused me. So. Being able to replicate what they did last year sounds difficult, but that's what everyone's saying about TCU. So still, give me a W. I still, I still think Del Cani owes a thank you note to Chris Kleiman for starting Martinez instead of Howard. I've been high, I've been high on Howard ever since he Del was a Connie freshman. Or, or Donati. No, Del Cani. Oh no, Del Cani. In that they Texas played game. Texas. Right. Game, they played Texas last year. It was like they gave Texas the win because they they started Martinez and they, even Kansas State fans were like. Why is Martinez still starting? They should be like, just like Josh Hoover's kind of become the the message board favorite for TCU. But Will Howard was actually producing in games. He was showing flashes. And I'll still remember this. Kansas State came down to TCU when Will Howard and Deuce Vaughn were true freshmen, and they won that game. And that's what got me respect for Will Howard right right away because usually – and, and this is when I kind of started to see the downfall a little bit too with GP because usually GP eats freshman quarterbacks alive. And what did Will, he ramble for? Ninety-two yards on the first drive of the game. Something stupid. That was like he just ran like a sixty-yard. I mean, it was just something stupid. We had one linebacker within, like, I mean, there's a picture out there, and I think Wyatt Harris is literally the only linebacker in the whole stinking picture. Like, they have five linemen, and there's no one else on the defense you can see in this picture. I think I'm thinking uh, of the right game. But, yeah. Yes, you are. But, yeah, that's that's how long Will Howard's had my respect because he came in as a true freshman and won a game on the road against, you know, one of the more respected defensive coaches in college football. All right. You got us. We've got us both at 8-0. And um, not a bye week, but you've got some odd time off with a Thursday game. Frogs are going to Lubbock. I am told weird things happen in Lubbock when the sun goes down. 
And so, you know, tighten your belt and keep your car keys close. What do you got out there? You go first. <laughs> I am officially not on the Joey McGuire Texas Tech bandwagon. I think they caught some breaks last year. Again, everybody could say that about us. Texas gave that game away. They should not have lost in Lubbock. Uh, they caught some breaks to beat Oklahoma. I am really. I think the frogs can. I think the frogs will beat Texas Tech, and I think Texas Tech is going to go seven to five. I need to get it out there. That's what I got. I'm in agreement with you. I think they're going to go up to Lubbock. It's going to be tough. Because like you said, crazy things happen in Lubbock. I don't think Texas Tech's going to go seven and five. I really feel like they can go eight and four or nine and three. They've got they've got some talent returning. They've got one of the better quarterbacks in, in the Big Twelve. Actually, they got two very capable quarterbacks that can play between uh, Chuck and uh, Baron Horton or Norton. What is his name? Horton Norton. Anyhow. I think they got two capable quarterbacks. They've got some talent at the skill position, but I really feel like by that time you have an eight and O TCU team going into Lubbock. They're playing with a lot of confidence, and they're going to get away from uh, Jones Stadium with the win. That's my prediction. Wear your helmets for the batteries and don't eat those tortillas because you don't know where they've been. All right, it all comes down to the three big. Uh, Honestly, the three biggest games every year in the Big 12 for TCU. They are stacked up here at the end. Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma. We just got a few minutes left here, Jeremy. Frog's going to beat Texas in Fort Worth? If, gosh, man, that's the only loss I have them for right now. You've got a loss? I've got a loss. I've got a loss because, just to make it short and sweet, if Texas is healthy, they – they have a pretty pretty good schedule. It's going to be a close game. I really feel it's going to be a close game. But I will say this. It's a loss, Jeff, but it won't be the last time they play Texas that year. Dude, you're reading my script. Are you in my DMs? I've got you know, a loss you know as well. I, you know I slide up into that DM. Moving right along, I, I don't see any way that the Frogs lose to Baylor in Fort Worth. TCU coming uh, – the, the Frogs have – Back-to-back games. Texas, I think – I'm with you. I think the Frogs are going to lose to Texas in Fort Worth, and then we turn around and play Baylor. I've got a W. Do you got a win? Absolutely. I think Baylor – I think Baylor might be worse than they were last year. You know, that 2021 season looks more distinct than it has with every day that passes. So, that's an interesting – peak of the Dave Aranda era. We'll see if they, if he comes back with a 500 team, you say they could be worse than they were last year. They did not look good against Air Force in that bowl game. <laughs> and then we close in Oklahoma, at Oklahoma in Norman. I've got a win on what I think is going to be a team that could be 10 and one at that time, but their schedule is just pure trash. And so I think the frogs are going to be able to beat Oklahoma. How great would it be if, Texas was undefeated at that time. TCU was, you know, 10-1, and one, and Oklahoma was 10-1 and one going into that game for uh, the right to get into the Big 12 title game. I think the Frogs are going to win in Norman. What you got, Jay? I got a win. They're going to win over uh, Jackson Arnold and the Sooners. Jackson Arnold's going to be starting for the Sooners. True freshman. Um, I'm, not, I'm not as high on Oklahoma as other people are. I, I voted them behind Texas Tech and TCU. 
Um, I I think I voted them fourth or fifth in my Big Twelve rankings. So, yeah, they've got they've got some talent, but I, I obviously, if a lot of it, you know, we know this, a lot of football wins and losses are are based off their quarterback play. Dylan Gabriel was decent last year, but he wasn't great. He was not near as good as what they've seen in the past from Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. He's nowhere in the vicinity as being as talented as those guys. So I, I still think they have a quarterback issue up in Oklahoma, and uh, I think they're still another year away from really, really competing. And now that they're going to the SEC, who knows how long it might be before we see them really playing at a high level. Win for TCU. Win for TCU. So let's just get it on the table here to wrap things up. I've got the Frogs playing Texas. They're 11-1. and one. Texas is 11-1. and one from their loss to Alabama. I've got them losing to Alabama. And we get a rematch in the Big 12 title game. And uh, I think there's only been two, you know, I think they've played seven, six or seven, no, they played seven Big 12 title games. And only twice has the team been able to beat them twice. Of course, one of them, no, excuse me. There's twice, or they've had a rematch six times. In 17 and 19, Oklahoma won both times. But in 18, 20, 21, 22, whoever won in the regular season lost in the Big 12 title game or vice versa. So I have a feeling that uh, TCU is going to uh, keep keep the trend going here. They're going to play Texas in the Big 12 title game. They're going to beat Texas in the Big 12 title game. They're going to be 12-1, and one, and they're in a spot to get into the playoff again. That's what I got. What do you got, Jeremy? Brett Yormark secretly does not want Texas or Oklahoma to win the Big 12 championship. Oh, it's not secret. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's absolutely no secret about it. TCU wins that game. TCU, granted, they stay healthy. I really feel like this is this is a 10-plus win team, which all of our predictions we've had, that would be 11, 12 wins. Could they be in the playoffs again, Jeff? I think if they play healthy or stay healthy, we could be talking about it. And you heard it here first, guys, on the Frog Homer cast – Brought to you by Jeff Mitchell, Daniel Southern, and myself, Jeremy Clark. There's nothing Homer about this. This is just straight up reporting. Only the facts. Fair. And I, fair. I just, I just like to, I just like to put out what, like, what people call me. That's yeah. Because I'm talking sense. I'm giving mm-hmm. my analysis because the analysis is positive. You're automatically a Homer. Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. Yeah, that's the way it goes. You know, we're not like the rest of the media. We don't tell you exactly what you want to hear. We tell ourselves what we want to hear. <laughs> and what I want to hear is TCU is going to win it. I will tell you this. There's some friends that I have that cover Texas that feel like Texas is going to lose to TCU in Fort Worth. So They've had a they've had a hard time winning against TCU. That's just a we all know this. We all know this. But to be honest, I would rather lose the regular season game and get that rematch in the Big 12 title game beating Texas twice. That would be – that's tough, man. Ooh, that would be Absolutely, tough. Absolutely, because if you lose in the Big 12 championship, body. then you can't go in the playoffs because you'll have two losses. Yep, yep. So, yep, you'll have two losses. There you have so. it. 
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. We are inside of a week. I hope that you are there for the Colorado game. I don't care that it's going to be 117 degrees in the shade. Get out there. Frogs are hosting what is the biggest game of opening weekend. Here we are on big noon kickoff, taking on Colorado and Deion Sanders. It's going to be a fun time. Hope springs eternal because nothing has happened yet, and we could be regathering next week to talk about who knows what, but I think we're going to have a big frog win. So until we get together next time, for Daniel Southern and Jeremy Clark, I am Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.